In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and that darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. O oh, star of wonder, star of light, star of royal beauty bright, lived and led full of grace and truth, bringing sight in the night, making children of light, to shine like stars in the dark, revealing the way to the way. Out of his fullness, we believed and received grace in place of grace, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, and we cry, holy, 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 for the true light that gives life has come into the world. We could pretty much just be dismissed after that. There's a sermon right there. Hey, it is good to have you here in Bellingham. Those of you in Skagit, thanks for joining us in sunny Florida in Boca Raton at the Trinity Church of God. Thank you for being and those of you uh, on, being here. Yeah, and, and those of you online, it's good to have you uh, with us as we start this series. Uh, you know, and I really am excited that you're here. I mean, we're into December now, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. And Christmas time is here, you know, with all the laughter and the cheer. Fun for all that children call their favorite time of year. And I think about that line that children call their favorite time of year. The Christmas season, the Christmas time, this holiday is a lot of things for a lot of people. You know, maybe it's kind of sentimental to you or whatever. I mean, after all, there's a Hallmark Channel. Maybe it has some nostalgia. Maybe it's romantic season. For some, it's a very difficult season. Actually, it's a very traumatic season for some. And I would imagine for all of us in multiple realms and arenas of our life, it's a very traditional season. There are traditions that we have as families in our homes. There's traditions that we we have as the church, as this church. There's traditions we have as a culture, as a nation, as a world. When you think about this whole idea of this season with, with all of whatever you approach it with, it is a time where, you know, the children say it's their favorite time of year. And I think, and I'm not being critical here, I think this is a very child-centric season. In fact, it brings out the child in all of us a little bit. But for a child, that wide-eyed wonder, the, the beauty of trees and decorations and lights and toys and presents and, and candy and Santa and reindeer and, and all of those things, very, very child-centric, childlike, even childish. And, I, and I'm not being critical. And I'm not even being critical or demonizing the secular aspects of this holiday. But the fact that it's very child-centric, and even in the church, many of you grew up in church as I did, and you know that this time of year there was always seemed like the children's pageant, or, or maybe there was the pajama choir where the little kids would come out, and they were very cute, and they would sing, you know, Away in a Manger, those kind of songs. And, and, and even as a kid, I mean, the nativity scene is like, even our parents had action figures. I mean, it was an amazing thing as a child to, to have all of this, and I love, absolutely love the fact that the story of Christmas can be understood by a child. I love that. In fact, I love the fact that the central figure in the Christmas story is a child. And the very well-known and familiar words out of Luke chapter 2, it says, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And that this little baby, this child, is at the center, the centerpiece of this entire story. 
Now, in some of your Bibles, then you know it goes on to talk about a little drummer boy who came along and played and woke up the little Lord Jesus who was asleep on the hay. Most of your Bibles don't have that, but that's for some of this childing. Now, here, here's what I want to say with all of that, is that my desire and my hope is that for us, in this context, over the next three and a half weeks leading up to this year of Christmas, that we, together, when we gather and throughout beyond these times here, is that we can have Christmas for grown-ups. Now, some of you right now are worrying, like, do I need to cover my children's ears? Listen to me. <laughs> Trust me. I'm not going to steal anything from your kids or ruin anything if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I'm not going to say any explicit things. You're like, oh, he shouldn't have said that. Don't. Well, I mean, that sometimes happens, but not, not intentionally. What I'm talking about having a Christmas for grown-ups is that I'm praying that this year, as we come together, as we embark on this journey together, that we will go farther on and deeper in and higher up, that we will stretch our minds and our understanding, we will expand our faith, and we will enhance our worship. And the way I want us to do this is that for the next three and a half weeks, I want us to just live in a passage of scripture, John chapter one, verses one through 18. In fact, as we start this, here's my challenge for you. For the next three and a half weeks, between now and Christmas, would you take the challenge to every single day this year, of this Christmas season, read John chapter one, verses one through 18, read those 18 verses every single day for the next three and a half, four weeks. And with that, that you don't just read it and say, well, I got that checked off my list, I'm going, read it and let the truth of it sink in. Now, it's interesting as we focus on John chapter one, is that this is not the normal go-to passage in the gospels for Christmas. When you think about Christmas series, Christmas uh, sermons, Christmas Eve, usually there's other Gospels. In fact, as you think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Christmas story plays out different in all of them. Matthew, Matthew, he starts off with this history of Israel. He starts off with a genealogy stating back clear to Father Abraham and all through the history of Israel, landing on Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. And then he goes on to explain what Joseph went through when he found out this woman that he was engaged to be married to was pregnant, it wasn't his, he was gonna divorce her quietly, the angel appears to him, and then the culmination of Matthew's gospel with the Christmas story is that the magi, the kings, the wise men, whatever you wanna call them, whatever song you sing with that, they show up at this house and it's, it's with this little family. Mark's gospel, Mark is like the Grinch of the gospels. I mean, he's like, bah humbug, what is he, Jewish or something? He doesn't even mention Christmas in his gospel. So we'll just throw him out for this series. And then Luke comes along, and Luke is absolutely Christmas crazy. Luke goes off, and he starts off with this prediction about this one named John who would be born, and he talks about hit John's father, John the Baptist's father, Zachariah, who's this old priest who has a wife that's along in years, and they've never been able to have kids. She's well beyond childbearing years, and he's told, you are going to have a son. His name is going to be John. He's dumbstruck on this one. I mean, he is left speechless in the, after this whole situation. And then Mary, Gabriel shows up to Mary, this young virgin who's never been involved with a man like that. And he says, you're going to have a child. And she's like, well, wait, I know how that, and no, and I didn't. And what, what are you talking about? And so they have that interaction. Then these two women who by all biological and human standards could not, should not be pregnant, are both pregnant. One's beyond the childbearing years. One has not had relations with a man. And they 
come together. Elizabeth, who's now six months pregnant, the child she's carrying, when Mary walks in, he does a little backflip. That sends Mary into songwriting mode. She writes this song that is this chart-topping song called the Magnificat that people have celebrated for 2,000 years. Three months later, John is born, and his dad, who's been shut in his mouth for the last nine months, he starts talking, and he writes a song called Zachariah's Song. Then you get to chapter two. That's the whole passage that starts off with Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire, and the whole thing that Linus quotes in the Peanuts Christmas special. <laughs> the shepherds there, the angel appears, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, and the angel said, fear not, for today I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people that today in the city of David a child will be born to you, and this will be a sign to you, and he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then they were accompanied by a great host of heavenly angels, saying glory to God in the highest peace on earth. That whole thing. And that happens, and then it culminates then with the shepherds going to this little family, Joseph, Mary, a new little born baby, and the shepherds. Now, what you have with Matthew and Luke is that they zoom in. For Matthew, he starts with Israel's history. He starts with Abraham, and he just keeps narrowing it down, keeps zooming in until he gets to Joseph, then Mary, then Jesus, and he ends up with this little gathering with the Magi, and Jesus at the center. Luke, he says, I'm gonna start with the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, then he narrows it down to Quirinius, who's the governor of Syria, and then he narrows it down even more, keeps coming in, now there's shepherds, now there's angels, and it culminates down with the same little, another little gathering of people, this time it's shepherds, with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. Both of them zoom in to these little gatherings surrounding this baby. John comes along with his gospel, and instead of zooming in, he zooms out. He zooms out on this huge, global, cosmic scale, and what we will find with John's gospel is that John is not just about the, the, the history, but the mystery of the birth of Christ. He begins to look at something on a far different plane, and John gives this unbelievably deep, theological, Christological treatise on who Jesus is. And what you find in the Gospel of John is that John points out the humanity of Jesus more than the other Gospels, and at the same time, he points out the divinity of Jesus. He shows his eternity. He shows his infinite nature. And he pens these words in the opening chapter of John that are at the same time beautiful and poetic, but they're mind-boggling and they're profound. And he starts off this passage, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that was made. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And I want to tell you, I cannot express how excited I am for us to dig into this passage, how intimidating it is for me as a pastor to dig into this passage, because I feel woefully inadequate because of the beauty and the depth that, that, that I would somehow be put in this place. So I'm wondering, before we go any further, can we just start with prayer? Jesus, you are the great light of the world. And, and I pray that you would eliminate our minds and our hearts and our lives, that you would cause us to think, to chew, to discuss, to see the truth about you. And Jesus, I pray now 
as I feel so inadequate, that you would use me to speak your words and that we would be transformed because of this one who brings light and life to us. Jesus, we pray it in your powerful, wonderful, beautiful name, the name of Jesus, amen. Ready? Let's do it. John 1.1, he starts off with three words, in the beginning, and right off the bat, we can catch him for plagiarism. Have you ever seen these, these words everywhere else in scripture? He starts off with the opening words of scriptures, like John, at least disguise it a little bit. Come up with your own material. You see, John doesn't focus in on a little gathering in Nazareth, a little gathering at a home, a little gathering with shepherds, a little gathering. He says, let's go back. It's not just about going back to, to you know, the Roman Empire. It's not just about going back to Father Abraham. Let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, he quotes like the opening pages of Scripture. Genesis 1-1 is found right there in John 1-1, in the beginning. And notice he doesn't say from the beginning. It's subtle, but it's important. If you were to say from the beginning, that's like the starting point. But he says, in the beginning. Like, you know, we, we grew up with stories that said once upon a time. What he's saying here is once before there was time. Like in the beginning. John Eldridge, a pastor up in Canada, he said that those opening words of Genesis in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, he says that we think that's the starting point. He said that's act three. Act three, it's already, we're already starting in the movie here. We're in the middle of the movie. Act two is when God created all the angelic heavenly beings. Act one is the Godhead in its infinity, eternity, uh, self-contained, uncreated, beginningless beginning. That's act one. So when he says in the beginning, we're already in the middle of the story. It's already happening. That Jesus is already there. In the beginning, this beginningless beginning, in the beginning, he says, was. Now, some of you are saying, if we're going to do this word by word, it is going to take forever. <laughs> Settle in. The game doesn't start until later this evening. We're good. <laughs> was. Now, you can imagine my utter astonishment when I found out, as I was studying this, that this word was is a durative imperfect. <laughs> Who knew? And the reason I was so astonished is because I don't know what a durative imperfect is. I didn't do well in language arts. I don't speak Greek. A durative imperfect means this, is that it's a continuation of something that's already happening, a continuation of something that's already in existence. That's why we see this is not the start of the movie. It's in the middle of it. In the beginning, there's this continuation. In the beginning was, and then he says, the word. I think, okay, well, that's straightforward. We use words all the time. We say words all the time. I say words all the time. I get paid to say words. We have words. They're thoughts. They're concepts. They're ideas. And then somehow our mind tells us to breathe out of our lungs, and there's air that's gone up to our trachea, and in the upper part of our trachea is what we call the voice box. And there we have the larynx, and we have the, the glottis, and we have the vocal cords, and the air passes through them and reverberates and vibrates, and then those utterances are kind of modified by our nose and our mouth and our tongue and our lips, and then we use it as a linguistic tool in order to pass on and express, communicate information, insights, concepts, those kind of things, and then we have words. It's not what he's talking about here. When he says, in the beginning was the word... That word word in the, in, the, in the Greek is the word logos. And logos means the mind of God, the expression of God, the power of God. In the beginning was the word. You know, we sing the Christmas song, most of us sung it our whole life. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. 
And maybe you've sung that your entire life and never knew, what, what does that mean, word of the Father? You just thought it was like, you know, word. No, it's not that. This word is the expression, it's the power of God. Now in flesh, appearing. Okay, now we're six words into this thing, and I think it's time for a quiz. Okay, <laughs> little quiz, shout out the answer, no trick questions. All right, you've seen these initials, what do they stand for? Before Christ. And maybe you've seen, more recently, these initials, which means before common era, or some would say before current era. Have you ever seen these initials? No, because I made this up. <laughs> this is before everything. So when God says, I am, Jesus comes along and says, I be. I, before everything. What we're talking about is the pre-existent Jesus. This idea that Jesus started out on December 25th, year zero, is wrong. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, he says, this is the pre-existent Jesus. He's before, in Revelation chapter four, John gets this picture into heaven, and he sees these elders, these 24 elders around the, around the throne, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That this Jesus is past tense, present tense, future tense, he's omnitense, he's beyond, he transcends time. It's like when in John chapter eight, Jesus is sparring with the Pharisees again, and in the midst of all this, the Pharisees say, well, you think you're greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus says, listen, your father Abraham rejoiced in the thought of seeing my day. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. You're not even 50 years old and you think you've met Abraham? And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Before Abraham was even born, before he left Ur of the Chaldees, before any of that, I am. And next week we'll look at John the Baptist, but uh, down a few verses in, in verse 15 of John chapter one, John testifies, this is John the Baptist, testifies concerning him, he cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's clear. It's like he's talking in circles here. He who comes after me. Okay, well, we know that John was six months older than Jesus, so maybe that's it. They're relatives. You know how cousins are. Ha ha, I'm six months older. We know that John started his ministry before Jesus. See, I started out first. I got there first and telling people to repent and be baptized or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he who is, comes after me has surpassed me. That Jesus would be more powerful? Yeah, sure. That he'd be more you know, popular? Absolutely. That he'd have a bigger impact? Of course. Why? Because he was before me. Before I was ever even thought of. Before I was ever born. This Jesus is the pre-existent Jesus. That he is before Christ, before common era, before everything. See, that's why I want us to go beyond the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Sing that all you want, but don't stop there. All right, we gotta keep going here. So we're six words in. We doing okay? <laughs> in the beginning was the word, and then it says, and the word was with God. Now before we get into this piece, we just have to acknowledge the limitation of our capacity as human beings to fully understand the concept of the Trinity of God. We don't have the capacity to fully understand or explain this. 
There is one God. We are a monotheistic belief system. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, Hear, O Lord, hear Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. But this God shows himself in the Godhead in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can't fully understand that. And whatever analogy you come up with to try to explain the Trinity falls short somewhere. I'm just saying, I'm thankful that I have a God that I can't fully comprehend. If I had a God that I could fully understand, it would be a pretty small God. I can't even understand how to set my VCR, and the fact that I still have one is an anomaly. And if I would have a God that I could fully understand, he's not a very big God. We have a God that transcends our understanding, so when it comes to the Trinity, we're never gonna fully understand this on this side of eternity. But Jesus was with God in the Trinity. Again, John goes back to the opening pages of scripture. In the very beginning, in the beginning, God, and then it says, and the Spirit hovered over the expanse, over the darkness, and then God spoke the logos, the word, and so there you have this trinity, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, the Word of God. One little rabbit trail? Okay, I'll just, just for a second. One little tra- this doesn't have to do with the sermon, but it's a cool little rabbit trail. So, in creation, God's there, the Spirit is hovering over, and then God speaks, and the Word is there. When Mary is told that she's going to have a baby, and she's like, whoa, 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 how's this going to be? The angel Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the most high will come upon you and then the word will be born. It's like with Mary and Jesus, like creation is being reenacted in recreation with the second Adam and making all things new. Is that so cool? Okay, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but what a thought. Okay, so in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. What you see here with Jesus is his infinity before there was time, his unity in the triune God and the Trinity, and now his divinity that he is God. Now, so I want to say something, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to inform you about something, that if it has not happened yet, there will come a day when some very nice people will come to your door, and they will knock on that door, and they will have some literature that they give to you. Very nice people. They're Jehovah's Witnesses. And in the Jehovah's Witness translation, the New World translation of the scripture, they love this verse, but in their translation of the scripture, they've added one letter that changes everything. In the New World translation of the scripture, in the Jehovah's Witness Bible that they use, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. That changes everything. Now, if you want to get into it, do your research, and the next time they come to your door, just say, hey, can we look at John 1, 1? They say, yes, let's do, and then point that out and say, it sounds like you're polytheistic. That's not going to go over well with Jehovah. This is what will happen. They will leave, and the next week, the old guys will come back. <laughs> just telling you. It happens. But Jesus is God. So in Philippians, and I use this verse, I just love this passage, Philippians 2, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. That very nature God is the unchanging essence of God. Jesus is in the very nature. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Colossians chapter 2, we read this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All of the fullness of Godness lives in bodily form. Another Christmas carol. 
veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Like, here's this flesh that's veiled the deity. Hail the incarnate, carne, like the incarnate deity. Jesus is God con carne. God with flesh, God with meat, God with, with, with muscles. This is God in the flesh. And I want to be absolutely clear on this, absolutely clear, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't just a great teacher. Jesus was an incredible healer and leader, but he wasn't just a healer and leader. Jesus could have been called a sage or a guru, but he wasn't just that. Jesus is not an angel. He's not Michael the archangel. He's not the brother of Satan. Jesus is God Almighty, God in his fullness. It's all there in Jesus. A man named Dale Bruner, who's a commentator, said that, in his words, it's like God was saying this, that all I have ever wanted you to know about me all that I've ever wanted to reveal about myself, I have made known in Jesus Christ. That all, God says, everything you need to know about me, everything I want you to know about me, it can be found in Jesus Christ. You know, at the, the last verse of this passage I'm asking you to read every day for the next uh, three, four weeks, says this, no one has ever seen God, but God the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. That's why when Philip says to Jesus, Jesus, when do we get to see the Father? Jesus would say, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's like God says, Jesus is the window that allows you to see me clearly. Jesus is God, and I don't think it's heretical to say God is Jesus. Keep this in mind, because some of you still have this concept that this God the Father, the Old Testament God, is this mean, angry, horrible, vengeful God, and Jesus is the kinder, gentler, newer, nicer, better volume of that. And God says, no, no, you don't understand. Jesus is who I am. I want you to see my love. I want you to see my grace. I want you to see my compassion. I want you to see how I feel about you. I want you to see how I feel my love for this world. And I do that by showing you through my son, Jesus Christ. He is God. Jesus is is God. Now what's interesting is we get uh, back to this verse. Now, we're through one verse now. <laughs> is that, it says, in the beginning was the Word. It's good. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 2, John summarizes that whole verse and personalizes it. Up to this point, you see, you know, there was the Word now it says, he, not just the, he was. Not the word was, the and was the word, the word was. He was, there it is, that, that durative imperfect, with God. There's that unity in the Godhead. He was in the beginning. There's that infinite nature, that eternal nature of God. This is why I want us to get beyond the dear eight pound, six ounce, baby, Lord, infant Jesus with the golden fleece that's all cuddly and can't speak a word. Asleep on the hay, fine, but don't let him stay asleep. Because if we just keep Jesus as this nice little cuddly baby that never, no crying he makes, then he might grow up to be a good man and that's fine, even if he had the character of Mother Teresa, the devotion of Billy Graham, and the manners of, of Mr. Rogers would be an incredible human being and Jesus was completely human, and completely God, fully and completely God. Don't miss that. So we see that Jesus is here. 
And he is, he is eternal in nature. He is unified in the Godhead, and he is divine because he is God. You say, well, okay, well, in the beginning then, at, at that starting point, so is Jesus like, kind of like the backup quarterback, just kind of sitting on the bench, just kind of learning, he knows the playbook, but he doesn't get in? Is he like the apprentice? Is he more of a spectator? Is he just kind of watching, kind of a bystander? Not at all. Verse three. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John, again, goes back to Genesis 1. He goes back to the creation narrative. And he gives us a positive and then a double negative. He says, let me try it from two angles. Through him, everything was made. And then he does a double negative. Two negatives make a positive. Some of you say, I don't go to church for math. Good enough. There it is. We'll stop. Without him, negative. Nothing, negative. So it becomes positive. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, can we just stop here for a second? Because I don't know where you are, spiritually, philosophically, belief-wise. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if you're an atheist or an agnostic or a deist. I don't care if you're a scientist, if you're a philosopher, if you're a theologian. I don't care if you're a creationist or an evolutionist. I don't care if you're an evolutionary creationist or a creationary evolutionist. I don't care where you are on any of that spectrum. All of us, included, have to somewhere come and wrestle with this fundamental question and problem. And the fundamental question is, why? I mean, this is a question that became popular late in the 17th century. Why is there something instead of nothing? Why does anything exist? Why is there the universe? Why is there the cosmos? Why is there life? Where do, why? In fact, there was a, uh, a philosopher named Ludwig Wittgenstein. I like to say it that way because it makes me sound German. All right, Ludwig Wittgenstein. All right, Ludwig Wittgenstein. He said, it is not how things are in the world that is mystical, but that it exists. Like, yeah, I don't understand all this, but that's not the biggest mystery. The biggest mystery is why? Why would it even be here? The physicist John Archibald Wheeler said, I want to know how come the quantum? Why is it? There's a man named Jim Holt. He wrote a book, Why, the, why Does the Universe Exist? And full disclosure, I have not read the book. I don't own the book. I watched his TED talk about the book. <laughs> Saved a lot of time and money that way. And, and it was a fascinating TED talk. He's very humorous in a very dry philosophical way. But in this, he begins to go through all these theories of possibilities of other realms and other dimensions and that maybe our universe is a part of a multiverse and we'll never get to in all these things. And then he starts talking about these theories and different approaches of answering why does the universe exist and maybe you believe that there's a God and then he brings up the child that has cancer so maybe your God is 100% benevolent but only 80% efficient. And then there's maybe there is no God and maybe it's all just a random act and then it becomes very hopeless and very helpless and very meaningless and then maybe our reality is the ultimate reality Reality, and that puts a lot of weight on every one of our shoulders because if we mess up, it messes up the ultimate reality for everybody else. Or maybe it's our reality is the fullness and how can we have the best in all this? And he gets through all of these different theories and at the end of his talk, this brilliant man who wrote a book called Why Does the Universe Exist? He makes this closing statement says, this statement will shock all of you. I have no doubt at all. And he makes this statement, my entire life I have never owned a cell phone. And then he walks off. <laughs> As if to say, 
I don't know. I don't know. Well, I could write that kind of a book. It'd be a whole lot shorter. And here's the deal. Intellectual honesty. It takes great faith to believe that there is an intellectual designer who is uncreated and eternal. It takes great faith to believe in a prime mover, God, whatever it might be. It takes great faith to believe that. But let's continue to be intellectually honest. It takes great faith to believe that we'll use the Latin term ex nihilo, that out of nothing comes something. I'm not talking about the Big Bang, before the Big Bang. I'm not talking about the gas bubble, before the, when there was nothing, when there was no time, when there was no space, when there was no matter, when there was no atoms, when there was no energy, when there was no light, when there was nothingness, that there was then something, that takes great faith. Whether you believe there was a God or it was all nature, they both take faith. And John comes along and says that Jesus is the epicenter of creation. Yes, it takes faith, but to say there was no God takes as much or more faith as well. That Jesus is the epicenter. That through him, everything was made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Paul picks this up when he writes in the letter to the Colossian church. And he says, I love this, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That's that veiled in flesh the Godhead see. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, we talked about this, that's an authority. That's not a, not a chronological, that's authority. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Some of your translations will say through him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the epicenter of creation. And what you begin to discover is that, that the logos, the word, Jesus is the one through whom God acts. 1 Corinthians 8 says this. There is but one God. We talked about that, monotheistic. One God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. You have to think through this one a little bit. That there is one God, and the God the Father, in, in that, that all things are from him and for him, but it's Jesus through and through. That it's from him, but it's through Jesus. And we live for him, but it's through Jesus that we live. Uh, how about this one out of Hebrews? In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So when Jesus comes along and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it's pretty obvious why. Because all of heaven and earth was created by him. It's not like someone says, okay, we got to find someone who's going to be in charge. Jesus will put you in charge. No, no, no. He is the creator of all things. All things in heaven and earth were created by him. Therefore, he has all authority. You see, this is not just the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. This is the preexistent, infinite, eternal Jesus who is unified in the triune God in the, in the Trinity and who is the, has the divinity of God himself 
who has created all of humanity, all of our universe, all of the cosmos, all of heaven and earth, visible and invisible. He's the creator of and sustainer of it all. And that's just who he is. Then it starts getting good. Verse four, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. This is where we get our theme that we're focusing on, light and life, this, this whole uh, December. So our theme comes from this. And we'll dig into this a little more next week, but whenever the Bible talks about light, it always talks about it in contrast with darkness. So here you have life and light, and there's a contrast of death and darkness. And again, John goes back to the opening pages of Scripture in the creative narrative. In the beginning, God, spirits hovering over the deep, over the darkness, and God speaks the logos, the word of God, and God says, let there be, and what's the first thing he says? Light. Okay, some of you are saying, Jesus? <laughs> let there be light. It's the first thing he creates there. Let there be light. And from that, he begins to create life. All the creatures of the sea, all the birds of the air, all the beasts of the field. And then at the pinnacle, the apex of his creation, in his own image, he creates man. And he just says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then Genesis 3 comes along. And sin is introduced into this beautiful, perfect, good picture. And sin brings separation. And sin brings separation and darkness and death. And from that point on, no matter how good life was, no matter how good people were, in the human condition, in the human story, there's always been sin and separation and death and darkness. But God had a plan. And all of that would point to one to one that would reverse all that, would change all of that. And so as we live in this sin and separation in, this, in the darkness, then the one who spoke into the darkness puts himself into the darkness of a womb for nine months. And the one who created all things becomes himself one of the created beings. And because of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, the sin the separation, the death, and darkness can be done away with. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, this resurrected, powerful Jesus, not just a baby infant in the hay, but the risen one brings healing for a dark, deaf, sinful, separated world. See, he who was before the world is he who created the world and he entered the world so that he might redeem the world. That this one who is infinite, this one who is the creator, this one who comes and is a part of his life is one who comes to bring light and he redeems the world through his own sacrifice. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. We'll do that in two more weeks. In the third week of this series, we'll get into that. So hold on to that idea. The exact representation of his being, you know, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, veiled in, in the incarnate incarnation, sustaining all things by his powerful word, this creator and sustainer. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You know what this means? That Jesus, the Logos, the Word, the one who is from before the beginning, the beginningless beginning, the first word has the last word. That he comes out on top. 
Because it's all from him, and it's all for him, and it's all by him, and it's all through him. It's Jesus all the way through. Okay, now, I could go on, but we're out of time. But this is some good stuff. Next week, we'll keep going next week. Come back next week. But you gotta, gotta look at this. We'll get into this next week. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. We'll, we'll really dig into that one next week. Here, in, when Jesus was on earth, he makes this statement, and he makes a promise. John chapter 8, he said this. Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. That's his statement. Very, very bold statement. I am the light of the world. This promise. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He will have the light of life. So it's okay to sing away in the manger. And it's okay to have the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. No crying he make. But you've got to go beyond that. And I'm asking you, this year, go beyond that little Lord Jesus in the hay. And remember that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were created. Without him, nothing was, was made that has been made. And in him is life. And that life is the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Let those words, let that truth take you farther on, deeper in, higher up, stretch your mind, expand your faith, and enhance your worship. I'm throwing it down one more time. For the next three and a half, four weeks, will you spend time in John 1, 1 through 18, every single day, and let this, tra this truth transform your life and center your entire December and Christmas on Jesus Christ?